This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. It's our job to make sure that people understand what marketing is. It needs to be about growth. You gotta be creative, you gotta stand out, you gotta have a voice, you gotta have a position, a point of view. But at the end of the day, that creative thinking needs to lead to growth and needs to drive top line growth. Is there a special marketing power in having a higher level goal? Today, we're pleased to welcome Jawad Bisbis, Global Vice President of Marketing and Partnerships for the Ball Corporation. With over 25 years of marketing experience working at places like Coca-Cola, Luxottica, Procter & Gamble, and others, Jawad brings incredible perspective and experience to marketing at the Ball Corporation. Tune in to hear how he found a greater purpose in marketing sustainable solutions rather than just a product. Where's home for you? Where'd you grow up? Uh, home is Morocco. I, I grew up in, I was born and I grew up in Casablanca, Morocco. So that's, that's where I'm originally from. Okay. Big family? Small family? Uh, medium family. I have a brother and sister. I'm the oldest. Okay. Okay. So are you, you so you're the, the oldest child. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting you said Morocco because I saw that when you, when you got into P&G, you oversaw the Tide brand for the Morocco market. Was that because you were from that area? Yeah, so basically uh, that's where I grew up. But then I did my business school in France. Morocco used to be okay. a French colony before. So French is my second language, not my first. My first is Arabic and my third is English, obviously. Uh, so uh, yeah, so after my business school, I went back home and, and joined PNG. Okay, okay. Was your, was your mom and dad entrepreneurial? Were they in the corporate world? Were they in the business world at all? Like, what was that? What was kind of home life for you? How did you get into this world of marketing and business? Yeah, sure. No, my mom is a teacher. She was, she's retired. She was an English teacher. Uh, my dad okay. used to work for, in a government administration. So, so uh, their first generation, their, their first generation from their family that went to college, okay. uh, both of them. We are from the countryside originally, so farmers mostly, uh, and uh, I'm kind of the second generation that, or yeah, that went to college and uh, uh, kind of uh, you know normal upbringing, uh, medium class, um, good childhood, happy, and uh, how I got to marketing. Well, I, I I went to business school and I had my uh, major in management, minor in marketing. And uh, when I went back home, and I had a job in France, so I could have stayed there. But when I went back home for holidays in Morocco, I went to a job fair and PNG was there. And obviously, there it's a great company to work for. So I ended up interviewing with PNG uh, without the intent to uh, move back home. But it worked out well. And, uh, and I joined them and I learned a lot. I mean, it's a great school of marketing. At least back in the day, it was the best school of marketing. I learned more about marketing in my three years at PNG than I probably learned in business school. So wow, I just got lucky, but there was not there was not like a career plan built up front that that's where I wanted to be. Okay, 
you join P&G in the, the late 90s. You, you know, you, you're there as an, as an assistant brand manager. You have this portfolio of some of their hair care products. Some of these names, you, you know, our audience might know Pantene, Pert Plus, Head and Shoulders, right? I mean, these are common, common brands. So you have this, you're getting this experience, as you said, this school of marketing. What are some of these early lessons that you're learning in marketing in the, you know, in the late nineties and into the, you know, yeah, early, early two thousands. But when you're at P and G specifically, what are some of these lessons you're learning in marketing? Well, it's funny because the first lesson I learned about marketing and PNG is still valid today, which is that marketing drives the business. Uh, it's not the case everywhere, but definitely it was the case in PNG that marketing was at the center of the business. It's a marketing company, it's a brand company, and uh, and it it's not like the tip of the iceberg is what people see, which is probably advertising, but marketing is much more than just uh, communications. So what I learned is how you manage a brand, how you manage a business, how you uh, manage a PNL. Uh, how you drive growth and how you, more importantly, manage the cross-functional team. So working with manufacturing, uh, working with finance, obviously with commercial uh, to drive uh, initiatives, whether it's innovation project or communication project or activations. Uh, so uh, that's why I said, like, I learned more than what I learned in school, because in school, it tends to be more like a, a marketing as advertising or as communication versus marketing as business. Mm. And then you, after, you know, I think three years and change at P&G, you ended up spending some time at the Coca-Cola company, yeah. another really small, you know, small retail brand that no one really knows about. Um, but you spent almost, you know, you spent 15 years or so at, at the Coca-Cola company. Now you can parlay this experience from P&G. What are the things that you're starting to do at the Coca-Cola brand? Obviously a global recognized brand, and you had some really cool experiences in your 15 years there, but as you're now building on top of your learning at P&G, what are some of the things you're doing at the Coca-Cola company and maybe some things that stand out as big wins for you, lessons learned, things like that? Sure. Well, the culture at Coke is very different than P&G. What I learned from P&G is really the hard skills. So project management, cross-functional team management, strategy, it's really all, all everything is driven by data insight that lead to action. What I learned more at Coke is are soft skills. Coke is a franchise system. So uh, people know Coke as this big uh, gorilla, but the reality is it's a system because the guys that do the job are really the bottlers and the bottlers tends to be local and tend to be locally owned as well. And they are the one that uh, make the product, that sell the product, that uh, manage the logistics of the product. So everything you do need to be aligned with the, with your bottling system. And that means you got to learn to be uh, much more resilient, to build the influence in, uh, to build value-based relationship, to be more patient because things take more time to align the system. Uh, in PNG, everything was integrated from manufacturing to distribution. So it was all internal. So it's easier to align internally. With Coke, you got to align more externally. So, so what I learned more are really the soft skills. And, and, and one of the reasons I joined was also to kind of have an international career. And that's how I ended up in the U.S. I'm still based in Atlanta after 15 years where the Coke office, uh, head office is. And um, in between, I lived in uh, different countries and continents. And, and uh, yeah, I learned a lot. Um, I think for me, the biggest one is, is because I had this global career, is uh, being open to different perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, there is not right or wrong or black and white. There's a lot of shades of gray. So you got to be open to uh, uh, different points of views. 
sometimes conflicting ones. Yeah, you got to be able to manage ambiguity, uh, what I call also constructive tension, a tension that leads to better results. And, um, and I also work with like super smart people from all over the world. Uh, and that was only possible because I, I was able to go outside of my home country and, and, uh, and, uh, and explore the world. And you also were you were you live in Dubai at one point when you were with yeah. Luxotic, Luxotica? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another huge huge brand. So you have you have indeed this like global perspective on marketing, and driving business in in lots of different markets and regions, lots of different types of brands, which is super interesting. Um, then you now in the past, you know, you're in your first year, I think, at Ball right now, right? Yeah, yeah, just finished six months. Okay, so you know, and as you know. The role of you know marketing leader in an organization is just such an interesting role, especially now. You're seeing a lot of notable brands shift the CMO or, or kind of head of marketing role into different aspects. Some of them are completely doing away with the, the title CMO and they're shifting into other parts of the business. And it's interesting to see a lot in flux for marketing leaders. And you come from, you know, a lot of credibility at P&G and the Coke company and Luxottica and Focus Brands and 7-Eleven. And like, so you've got this pedigree and this credibility and rigor to marketing. And now here we are in this really interesting, fast changing world. Um, and now you're also at a very large organization in Ball Corporation. And so what does it mean for you now to be a marketing leader in 2022 when it seems like there's a lot in flux and it seems like that role among the leadership roles is one that's in a period of kind of dynamic shifting. What's that been like for you? Well, it's probably the role in the C-suite that has uh, the less uh, tenor. I think the, the tenor of a CMO is, uh, is two, three years max. Yep, yep. And a lot of the time, the relationship between the CEO and the CMO is not at their best. They're at their best, definitely with their CFO and sometimes with their chief commercial officer. Uh, the CMO is, is more challenging, I think, because we, we, we are not doing justice to the function. I think marketing is an art and science, and sometimes it shifts and bends towards arts and other times towards science. Uh, um, leadership wants more science than art. They want to know that their investment, whether that's people or marketing budget or, or resources, are going to lead to uh, growth. And that should be the role of marketing. The role of marketing along with the commercial team is to drive the top line growth. Mm -hmm. And that's why you saw like a lot of uh, renaming, repurposing of the CMO role over the last few years, calling it chief mm -hmm. growth officer, mm -hmm. uh, which included uh, digital, sometimes commercial uh, innovation strategy. And because I think there's always this, uh, uh, again, tension about, you know, is the market in a cost center or is it a profit center? And and until we solve it, uh, we're not doing justice to the function. And uh, I think that's why, you know, it's been always kind of dynamic and it's been always kind of, uh, there's always back and forth between different titles and different scopes of, of the role. But uh, it's our job to make sure that people understand what marketing is. It needs to be about growth. It's not about, and I know Cannes Festival happened last week. It's not, a, sorry, it's not about winning Cannes Awards. It's nice. That's not why marketing is there. It's a testament to the creativity because that's how you get people engagement. You got to be creative. You got to stand out. You got to have a voice. You got to have a position, a point of view. 
But at the end of the day, that creative thinking needs to lead uh, to growth and needs to drive top line growth. And if it does not, then at some time, you know, people probably don't have the the same patience as uh, they may have with other functions. So when people think of the Ball Corporation, I know a lot of people think, you know, old school mason jars, you know, and that's a part of the of the history of this brand. But if you take a closer look at this brand now, there's so much more happening inside of this brand. For our audience, will you describe Ball Corporation and then your role as global VP of marketing? Sure. Yeah. So, so Ball is all about sustainability. The, the Ball is a global leader in sustainability across different business units. So you talked about Mason George. That's a business that that's a legacy business. That's a business that was sold almost 30 years ago. But people still connect the company with the brand. It's uh, owned now by Newell Brands, which is also based in Atlanta. Ball is based in Denver, by the way, at least our head office. But we have plants mm-hmm. all over the world and all over the U.S. Uh, so uh, the core business is really packaging and aluminum packaging, whether that's for beverages or for CPG. So our primary business unit is the global beverage uh, uh, unit, which is uh, basically manufacturing aluminum cans, aluminum bottles for uh, big beverage manufacturers like Coke, like Pepsi, like ABI, uh, Molson Coors, Monster, Red Bull, you name it, we do it. Uh, and that's the core business. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that, but aluminum is the most sustainable packaging out there. It's better, definitely better than plastic, uh, better than glass, better than cartons or Tetra Pak. Uh, and we gotta, that's what we gotta do. We gotta educate more people that, you know, if you wanna go into a beverage business, that's the right packaging to go with. And that's our core business. Uh, and that's kind of our legacy business because we've been there for more than 50 years now. Then there's the aerosol business, which also makes aluminum packaging, but for CPG companies like Unilever or PNG, uh, they're using for their household goods. And then interestingly enough, our first business before uh, these two businesses is the aerospace, which is dates back to the 50s. Uh, where we help build satellite and sensors. But it's also about sustainability because they are used to monitor uh, climate change, the effect of global warming on, a, on Earth. We can even look into microplastic in the oceans. Uh, so a lot of that data is used with government and non-government organization to track a, a global warming and climate change on Earth. Uh, and then uh, our newest business, which is the business I'm in, is the cup business. And that's just started last year. And it started from, you know, the fact that our business is about sustainability and the fact that there's billions of plastic cups that are still being used in the U.S. and across the world. Indeed, in the U.S. only, there's 15 billion plastic cups that gets used every year. Wow. And most of them end up in, in landfills uh, or get incinerated, but not recycled. Uh, the recycling rate is less than 5%. So ball try to find a solution for that. And they end up building a plant, which is an hour north from where I live in Atlanta, here in Rome, Georgia. And uh, we started this business last year. This is year one. And I was hired six months ago as uh, the global VP of marketing. So basically my role is build awareness around this cup, tell the story. Yesterday, we just made the first nine ounce cup. This is a cute small cups. Uh, We started with the 16 and 20 ounce. So this is kind of a the latest innovation and uh, uh, and my role is to build awareness for this business. Uh, uh, we sell it in retail. We're in Walmart, at Target, at Kroger, in the South here in Publix, Midwest in Meyer, 
Albertson, Hall Deleuze, and more, a lot of regional grocery retailers. But we're also in food service on premise. So we work with a lot of stadium venues uh, around here in Atlanta, Mercedes Benz, and State Farm, mm. uh, but across the US. So Ball Arena, for instance, in Denver is one of our assets and, uh, and uh, anchor venues. And uh, I was glad that the Avs won the Stanley Cup, obviously. So that's. Uh, that's a good. That's a good news for for the company and for Colorado and Denver, in particular. And um, and we also work with the other Kroenke properties like SoFi Stadium uh, in LA uh, and uh, Emirates Stadiums in in London. Uh, so so it's a mix of food service and uh, and retail. And, and my my role is to use all these channels, all these assets to build awareness around this business, to build trial. It's really the top of the funnel. Like it's a super classic mm-hmm. marketing. Uh, but we know that when we build the top of the funnel, it flows through the funnel. The conversion rates are high. Mm-hmm. When people try it, they rave about it. They love the fact that it's uh, it keeps their beverage cold, mm-hmm. that it's more premium, uh, that it's refillable and recyclable. Uh, a lot of people in these venues end up taking it home. So we did, for instance, a uh, partnership with Coldplay, and this is basically the Coldplay Cup. Oh, nice. And a lot of people take it back home. It becomes a collectible. Sure. Wow. So are you also D, also D2C or only going through like retail? Yeah. We're on Amazon. We're on Walmart.com and on, on okay. uh, uh, all retailers' uh, online platforms as well. Okay. So that's super interesting. So, so what what was the opportunity that you saw from the kind of outside looking in before joining Ball? Like, what are the things you're evaluating? You know, drawing from all your experience before, what did you see as this big opportunity? And what was kind of the, your first ninety days like? What did you do? What are the things you changes you made or observations you made that set you up for success now a half a year in? Well. You know, I've been in marketing for 25 years. Indeed, last year I finished my 25 years in marketing. So I kind of reflected on what I learned uh, and also where I want to go next. So as you said, you are work for PNG. So I sold hair care. I sold uh, fabric care. I sold obviously soft drinks. I sold retail concept. I sold eyewear with Luxottica, uh, beverages again with 7-Eleven, which is all good. But at some point in your career, you're looking for purpose. Uh, you're looking to do something meaningful, something that have an impact, something that may change the world eventually. And this, when this business came in, it came just at the right time where I was kind of thinking like, what's the next 15 years are going to look like and where I want to be and how can I use my experience, my expertise, my skill set to do something that is positive, especially in, in, in a world where we know there is a lot of impact around climate change and global warming. Uh, so, so that's what got me into this business. And also what I liked about it is still a startup to scale up. So Ball is a almost $15 billion global organization. We're a small piece of that. We're still a small startup within that organization. Uh, so being able to come in year one and shape the business and be part of the team that eventually going to transform uh, and scale this business was what got me excited above and beyond, obviously, the sustainability, which is kind of a, at its core purpose and the, the, the reason why this business exists. So that, that that's what, what got me here. The first in mm-hmm. my 90 days, I would say first 60 days was really working on the strategy uh, and then aligning leadership on the strategy. So that was kind of my focus the first 60 days. What are some of the things you do to align with leadership? You know, this is something I think that executives don't often talk a lot about, but it's, it's, you know, it's some things that come easier to others 
more than others, but reaching across the aisle and building trust and aligning, especially as a new marketing leader, what are some of the things that you do there to align with these other stakeholders that maybe were there before you that have a different viewpoint that might challenge you? What are some of the, what's some of the ways you, you really tr- build that trust with other, other executives? I think the challenge with this business, this is the first B2C business for Ball Corporation since the Mason jar. So ah. Ball is mostly a B2B. It's, their business model is super predictable. Uh, they work with the global key account, and I named some of them. Mm-hmm. And they have multi-year contracts. So then they build manufacturing plants built, uh, based on the commitments made with the, those global key accounts. So it's, it's a kind of predictable business because they have those long-term contracts. This is a business where the company invested $300 million in a new plant uh, without really having commitments from customers to buy into it. Wow. So, so the heavy lifting needs to be done from marketing, from commercial, to introduce it in retail, on e-com, in food service, to build awareness. It requires marketing investment. So, so the first thing is you got to uh, socialize how this business is different and how it's going to take time to scale up and provide some confidence to leadership that you can scale it up. That's why you got to start with the strategy. And when I say strategy, I don't mean marketing strategy. I mean, what's the business growth strategy? Mm. And that's what we did the first 60 days. And then we aligned it all the way to the CEO and it became kind of the roadmap for growth. Okay. What are some of the most effective channels that you're seeing right now? What's working really well? Well, from from a, from a media standpoint, it's definitely digital social uh, plus activation. Uh, anything that's again, as I said, when people experience the cup in a stadium, in a venue, in a music festival, it's memorable. They even end up taking it back home, and the cup becomes the channel. I would say from a sales channel. We are kind of even between retail and food service uh, with uh, e-com kind of the third channel there. Uh, but uh, the business is kind of balanced between the two. Okay. Got it. Yeah. One of our producers actually, he has one of the cups right now. He showed me before. And we need we need some of these cups in Austin, Texas. We've got the MLS soccer team here. Um, you know, we've got some some big venues. We've got some music festivals here. So I feel like there's a big opportunity for for you guys to come here and make a splash here in Austin and Texas broadly too. I, I love Austin. I mean, I used to travel a lot to Dallas where 7-Eleven is. Yeah. So I, I went there also for store visit. And uh, yeah, uh, we need to bring the cup to Austin. Indeed. What kind of team culture do you aim to build at, at Ball Corporation? We're in an interesting time of this you know, the great recession and like this, this great, you got to retain the talent, find them, attract them. Then you got to keep them there right now. And so what's just your approach to, you know, building culture and a high performing team in 2022 as a marketing leader? Well, as I said, we're a startup within a large organization. So the culture that we're trying to build is a bit different from the overall bull culture. Uh, okay. We need a much more entrepreneurial culture. We need people that are scrappy, people that make decisions fast, that are, uh, enabled and empowered to take risks and fail, fail fast, learn, scale, uh, or move on. So, so that's, that's really the, the core is uh, we hire based on that skill set. Uh, are, are these people that are able to deal, deal with ambiguity, to pivot fast? You talked about the pandemic. I mean, every organization had to pivot probably four or five times a year uh, during the last couple of years. We're talking about sometimes pivoting every month. 
So, so you got to be able to uh, be open to change, be open to ambiguity, be able to pivot fast when something don't work, you cut the rope and you move on. Uh, and that's the, really the, I would say, requirement number one. The second one is you, you got to lead with purpose. So we hire people that also have that same sense of purpose, that want to do something that is meaningful, that are not there just for the paycheck. So that's, that's I would say, number two. And the other one is, is, is to build a diverse, inclusive team uh, because we our customers are diverse. Our team needs to be as diverse our, as our customer base. And I mean diversity in terms of thoughts, in terms of perspective, in terms of ethnicity, background, uh, gender, uh, you name it. Uh, so so th- those are really the three that matter for this uh, business unit within, within Ball. But some of those values also are the same uh, within the Ball organization. So there is a good, uh, let's say, healthy tension, but there's also good alignment in terms of culture between our operating unit and the overall organization. I think it's, I read that, you know, Ball was pretty big on diversity even before it became like a hot topic. Now everybody's talking about, you know, DE and I, and, and it's important, but it, it seems like Ball was already making investments in diversity, you know, years ago. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's always room to grow. Mm-hmm. The worst thing you can do is being complacent and, and saying, hey, I got it. You never got it. It's a never ending process. So, so yes, uh, we are, we are a company that's always been uh, as diverse as the customer base we serve. We have manufacturing all over the world. So basically our employees are kind of mirroring the markets and the countries where they are in. Uh, we just need to uh, build on that and, uh, and do more. Hmm. When you talked about kind of cutting the rope, right? Let's say when something's not going well, especially in marketing, you know, you're launching a campaign or you have an idea for an activation or there's some, you know, something that you're investing time and energy in and you're seeing that it's not working, you know, and, and I think this is kind of where there, there can be some ambiguity in terms of, okay, when do we cut the rope, right? As a marketing leader, how far do we push it down the road, even though it seemingly is not giving us the result now, what's your perspective on, yeah, just on timing on some of these things, because you could maybe cut the rope a little too soon, you know, and there's a lot of technology and innovation happening in this world where you also could be not moving fast enough. And so there's a lot of tension in that. And how do you, yeah, how do you view that? Yeah, I think because marketing is an art and science, uh, a lot of uh, people tend to fall in love with the project, with the brand, with the initiative. And when you fall in love with it or with the innovation, you want to take it all the way. And even when it's not working, you're trying to salvage it. And that's where it's becoming problematic. You got to cut it at the right time. I'm, I'm a proponent of cutting it early. If things don't work, cut it, move on. Uh, again, fail fast, learn, and iterate. And when things work, then you can scale them. Uh, but there is not like an ideal time frame. I mean, uh, and different people have different perspectives. But uh, I think... The worst thing we can do as marketeers is fall in love with the project, with an innovation, because it becomes your baby. So you don't want to abandon it, right? You want to uh, nurture it and try to find ways to, to grow it. And uh, I think it's fine. There's some level of experimentation. And I, as long as there is 20% experimentation, not 80%, I'm fine with uh, I think we just got to find the right balance. When when it's the core business and something does not work, learn from it and move on. 
And we have metrics, like it's not the 90s. If you look at digital and social, you can track metrics on a weekly basis. You know which creative is working, which is not. You know which channels are working, which are not. You have clear KPIs. If things work, you again, you invest more. If they don't, then you shift that investment into uh, creative content uh, channels that work better. You know, you're marketing this newer business. That's it's part of a larger, as a, as a part of a larger business. But you have, you said yourself, it's very entrepreneurial there, so you can move a little quicker. There's some velocity there, and you know, what has become kind of table stakes for you now with your approach to marketing and marketing leadership that maybe wasn't the case a couple of years back. Has the game changed so much now as a marketing leader from when you were at Coke and you know, and marketing at P and G? If so, what are some of the top one, two things that are really relevant now that maybe were not as relevant in you coming up in the marketing game? Well, it's definitely performance marketing. We didn't have as much data even 10 years back, but now with the machine learning, with AI, with big data, I mean, there's a ton of data out there. The challenge is more how to use the data, how do you make sense of the data to make decisions. So so that's, that's for me, you know, the biggest... Um, focus in terms of learning because I'm still learning as far as performance marketing is concerned. And that's what makes this function now much more interesting because then you have a lot of data that you can uh, use to showcase leadership and stakeholders, whether you got to move in this direction or in that direction, which you may not have had in the past. And in the past, you may wait for the monthly tracking, whether it's retail audit tracking or brand tracking to see whether you're making progress. Sometimes it was quarterly to see whether you're making progress. Now you get data like every day if you want to. What are your thoughts just on personalization and kind of the story, the story you want to tell, especially customers connecting to your brand? It looks like there was some kind of influencer, at least introductions on the YouTube channel. I saw some stuff with um, uh, Wide Receiver and the NFL. And so looking to connect, you know, influencers with the brand and and the fans and the users. What are some of the things you're doing to personalize, you know, the messaging and what are you seeing out in the marketplace now with this new, yeah, focus on personalization? Yeah. Well, the beauty of digital and social is that you can personalize the message to different cohorts. Uh, So so you can uh, tailor different messaging, different content, different creative into different channels that target different cohorts of customers. Uh, on the influencer side, we work with influencers that also care about sustainability. I think one of the key values that is important, has been important for years now, is being authentic and transparent. People figure it out. Like if you're doing greenwashing, people will see it. Uh, people can search you online. So you can't you can fake it. So, so we want to work with influencers that believe the same thing as we do. I think you named one of them, uh, Cooper Cup. So I have yeah. a Cooper Cup also, yeah. which uh, we did for the Super Bowl uh, earlier this year. I mean, uh, the reason we work with Cooper is because he he believes in sustainability. Uh, he's he's a brand ambassador for the cup. He loves it, and he he talks about it whether you know there is a partnership or not. So we're looking for similar influencer. Coldplay is another one. Like they came to us because they wanted to be the most sustainable touring band in the world. Mm. And they stopped their tours for a couple of years until they figured out how they can uh, reduce their carbon footprint. And they came to us because they didn't want to have plastic in their concert and they wanted something that is more sustainable. So so you got to find the right partners that have the same belief. Mercedes-Benz here in Atlanta 
uh, it's, it's the same. So they, they they came because they wanted uh, something that is more sustainable, something that is more fully circular. So you got to work with influencers, whether those are influencers on TikTok or corporate influencers or, or nonprofit organization that have the same objective as you have and that really want a partnership, not just a sponsorship. What's been a recent win for you? I mean, and I think about, you know, just look at the your opportunity at, at Ball in the past, you know, six months, almost a year now. What was the what was the last thing that happened where you kind of had this like, you know, it's the moment of like, all right, this is we're on to something, right? Because a, a lot of strategy and, you know, execution kind of waiting, kind of waiting the game and seeing if these if these moves are being made accurately and we're getting we're driving growth and these things are happening. You, know, you got to be able to celebrate these things along the way. You know, what was the last thing that happened in your, you know, in your tenure there at Ball where you had this moment of just like, yes, like we we made the bet, we placed the bet and we we hit the mark or maybe we exceeded the mark. Take us inside that story and that example. Sure. Uh, I mean, there are multiple, but the first one that comes to mind is our partnership with Jason Momoa. That's another guy that believes in sustainability. We did an advert, we did a campaign with him last year, which you may have seen on YouTube. But uh, we have uh, kept that partnership because he cares. And he came to us because he wanted to do a social media stand during Earth Day uh, with the Make Waves uh, campaign. And, and we worked together uh, on creating the content. We worked with his brand, Mananalu, as well, which happens to be also a package. It's a water brand, and it's packaged in an aluminum bottle that we make. Uh, so there was a fit from his business standpoint, from his beliefs and value standpoint. And uh, obviously, he has, he's got a, a big follower base. And he, he created a lot of content, and he asked his celebrity friends to kind of uh, also get in and engage and make a, a statement about the environment during our day. So, so it was super organic. Uh, it's not something where, something where we invested a lot. I'm talking resources, dollars, but it's something that got us um, 10x what we probably uh, put in. And that's kind of the partnership we're looking at, really people that believe in the mission and then want to do something for the environment. And, and this is one simple way to do it. Ditch in plastic cup for more sustainable, recyclable uh, aluminum caps. So partnerships is also in your in your title. Is that the, the aspect of building these relationships with the Jason Momoas and the Cooper Cups? And like, is that is that the types of partnerships, like these influencer partnerships? Or is this partnerships more broadly with other like brands or, or yeah? It's both. Okay. So we're starting to work with some of our global key account, like the Coca-Cola company, like PepsiCo, uh, ABI, Molson. We already work with a few of them, with most of them already. Uh, so it's partnership with uh, brands that care. It's partnership with uh, uh, core other corporation and customers that care. So I talked about some of the venues. I talked about Cranky Sports and Entertainment. Uh, we are also, uh, we were at the Miami Grand Prix at Hard Rock, uh, obviously at SoFi during the big game. Uh, so, and then partnership with, with influencers, big and small, uh, that also care about the environment. So it's not one or the other. It's really a mix of looking at the whole ecosystem and identifying who are the people that can help you expand your voice. Uh, because again, we're still small mm-hmm. and take you and make you bigger and 
eventually help you drive awareness for the cap that will lead to more people changing their behavior uh, from whatever they're using now that is probably less sustainable to something that is more sustainable. So the objective of this partnership lies within the overall objective, which is building awareness trial for this uh, container uh, and getting more people to change their behavior. Because if you want to remove 15 billion plastic cups from the environment, that's going to take time. So Mm -hmm. it's either you got to go with a long-term view or you got to go with the view, which is how can I fast track it? So it doesn't happen within 10, 20, 30 years and where it might be too late to kind of make a real difference to how do you make it happen within three to five years. Mm, That's fantastic. I'd love you to think kind of zooming out, you know, macro of your just career. Again, you've worked at some incredible brands, had some awesome experiences. So just reflecting on your career, um, I'd like you to just think about a, a time when you faced a crucial moment in your career, right? There there was the sort of moment that can either kind of make or break situation or an opportunity. Um, and I want to unpack that. We just give, give you, a, you know, a minute or so just to think about, you know, a, a really big moment in your career. And it could be inside a ball. It could be at Coke or wherever, but a big moment that was this intersection of like, okay, this is, the stakes are really high. I've got to get this right. Um, do you have a, a story that comes to mind? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I would say when I first managed a global brand. So I, as you said, I worked in multiple countries uh, before I came to the U.S. Then I came to Atlanta and, and I ended up managing one of uh, our global brand, which is uh, uh, Powerade uh, within our sports drink business. So, so I managed $2 billion brands. Uh, one was Powerade. The other one was Aquarius. And Powerade back then was a value brand. It was a brand that was uh, launched as a competitor to uh, Gatorade, which is owned by PepsiCo, which is the bigger name in sports drink. And uh, it was doing fine as we were kind of launching it into a new market, building distribution, horizontal growth. But at some point, you kind of maximize that that horizontal growth, whether it's new market or new customers. Uh, and, and when I joined in, um, the brand did not really have a point of view on sport, did not really have a position and did not really have a clear growth strategy. It was built bottom up. They don't have a global stewardship on the brand and, and the business was, was not growing, uh, to the scale, uh, uh that uh, it, it should be. So, so that was probably the first big challenge that I faced and, and the one where I learned a lot, uh, uh, helping solve uh, big pain points, uh, helping align stakeholders, uh, helping drive an innovation pipeline that we didn't have, um, helping scale the business further into uh, more markets, and eventually uh, gaining market share versus our main competitor and accelerating the business from low single digit to double digit growth three years in a row. Um, and that's, that was a journey. It was a hard journey. As I said, Coke is a, is a, is a system. And uh, you, you, it, unlike other CPG like Unilever or Kraft or, or PNG, uh, you, you have to align that system if you want to get things done, especially if you're talking about innovation. If you're talking about CapEx investment, those are made by our bottling partners. So, so you got to uh, make sure that they are brought in. Uh, and they, they, they believe in, in, in the vision uh, for change. So it's required a lot of heavy lifting internally to align the markets 
and externally to align the system uh, in investing into a brand that while it was a billion dollar brand was a much smaller brand than some of the soft drinks that you are, you guys already know. Uh, so that that was kind of the biggest challenge. What I learned is the multiple thing, the power of uh, the collective genius. When you bring in right brain, left brain, people from diverse functions and background, that's when magic happens, that when one plus one equals three. So we had a super inclusive process to align and get everyone involved and get everyone brought in into the pro- into building the growth strategy, into building the brand positioning, uh, eventually launching the first global campaign for Powerade, which was the first one was in 2010 during the FIFA World Cup in South Africa. Then we had another one for the Olympics. So bringing all that system together around some of the biggest global assets that Coke owned and using them as a tentpole to uh, scale the voice of the brand uh, uh, while not having the same resources our, as our main competitor was really critical to to drive in uh, growth back into the business, but also innovating. So that's when we launched Powerade IN4. We, 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 we ended up scaling it in more than 30 markets. Uh, that's when we launched Powerade Zero, which was the first zero sports drink. I think Gatorade only did zero a few years ago, and we were able to get 20% market share there. So uh, yeah, so kind of that collective genius, bringing people together, Staying uh, resilient because there's always, you know, a resistance to change, especially if the markets have already built entrenched behavior on what is right mm. versus what is wrong, especially when you have different ways to build the brand, uh, whether you are in the US or you are in Latin America or you are in Europe or Australia, changing that entrenched behavior and changing the culture and driving change. Uh, or transformation takes time. So you got to also be resilient and uh, you got to stay the course, believe in the growth strategy and continue to execute. Uh, And when you get some wins, more people comes in, you build brand ambassadors, you build fans, I mean, internally, and they help you spread the gospel and you get more resources and it makes things a little bit easier when you want to invest more. Have you been able to go to some of these sporting events? Yeah, I feel like you have an odd opportunity to go to some pretty amazing events. Yeah, the, I've been to those two that I, I talked about among among others. That's part of the, that's, that's let's say, the, the fun part of the job. <laughs> yeah, no, that's beautiful. Uh, that's really cool. There's the B2C component you talked about. There's also still a B2B component because you're still looking for food service and, and retail partners as well, right? So you're still you're still marketing to the B2B world and you're also marketing to the B2C world. Are you still yeah. overseeing kind of both of those things? Yeah, so we have two sets of customers. We have the end customer, which is uh, consumers that want to uh, change their behavior. Right. But we also have customers, corporations, food service, whether it's uh, restaurant chains or golf courses or bars and pubs uh, or stadiums and, and entertainment venues. And that's more B2B. Uh, and obviously, the marketing there is going to look different. It's going to be a mix of trade shows, conferences, a lot of influencing, a lot of networking, a lot of building relationship, uh, and a lot of alignment on the sustainability goals. So it, it, it's really critical that they have similar goals, mm-hmm. and we are help there to help them support one of their goals. Mm. It seems like having those those values aligned is really important for you and team and the approach. It's like 
before we get too far down the road, let's make sure we're aligning on, yeah. on our values and what we're doing. And I think that's huge. You get a, you get a lead with sustainability okay. because uh, that's the value proposition. So you, you don't go and say, I'm going to, I'm here to sell the cap. You're here to sell a sustainability solution right. that is a fully circular solution. So if Mercedes-Benz wants a full circular system where they have something that is recyclable, but they also understand how it gets collected, how it gets recycled and how it gets put back in the, in, in the market, we, we always say that, you know, Aluminum is back on shelf or can be back on shelf within 60 days. Mm. That's based on data. And you can't say that for any other container uh, because this one is infinitely recyclable. It does not degrade. Other degrade over time. So eventually it will end up incinerated or in landfill. Aluminum, if it's been created 100 years ago, it's probably still here today. So, so that's why it's important to educate, but also lead with sustainability first and make sure that they have the same objective, whether it's one of our global key account like Coke, Pepsi or ABI, whether it's some of the big uh, venues in the US, especially the sport venues, uh, or whether it's uh, other food service customers that we work with. What are your thoughts on this, on this kind of new cookie-less future that we're getting into? How are you handling that, your approach to this yeah, first party data seems to be a lot more important now. And it seems to be like we're moving, yeah, moving pretty quickly into kind of a cookie-less future. What's your thoughts and kind of, yeah, opinion on that? Well, I think it's important to respect people's privacy and, and people have to um, opt in uh, and it needs to be their choice to opt in. Uh, it shouldn't be by default. So uh, our role is to make sure that we have content that is engaging, that we're not spamming them and to tell a story that 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 they want to hear, a story that they want to spread around. And the beauty about this business, as I said, like when people try it, they become our first fans, they become our brand ambassador and our key channel is word of mouth. And when you look at the data, that's, that's the most uh, uh, important channel. That's the channel that drives behavior. People talking about it to their friends, family, when they have a party, when it they have an outdoor uh, gathering when they have a barbecue, especially in summer, et cetera. So, so you get to uh, respect the privacy, uh, lead with engaging content, give the people the opportunity to opt in or opt out if they don't want to, and make sure that you know, you're always leading with purpose, leading with values, and making sure, again, that those values align with your customers. Some customers care about sustainability, others don't. Mm. That's why we talk with our psychographic segmentation. We're focusing on what we call eco-conscious customers. Mm. People that want to do something for the environment, they may not know what, what, and this is a simple way to do uh, something that does not require a lot of heavy lifting. This just requires a behavior change. This just requires... Uh, moving from one beverage container that is less sustainable to something that is more sustainable. We're not asking you to go re- collect, recycle. That that work is done on, on the back. So yeah, I think you know it's part of Web3 uh, with other uh, transformational uh, innovation happening like the metaverse. And, uh, and we need to stay um, uh, close to those trends and... Um, and as I said, I think, you know, marketing has changed over the last few years, probably more than over the last 30 years. And I'm still learning. And there's a lot of stuff that I still don't know. Uh, I'm lucky to have a team that probably know and an agency partner that have know more than me. And um, 
I'm a lifetime learner. So that's what makes marketing exciting. Mm. That's why I'm not an accountant, <laughs> uh, among others, because right. you learn for as long as you want to. Exactly. And it's always dynamic. It's always changing. It's a great job if you love change, if you thrive on change. It's mm. a lousy job if you like comfort zone mm. and you like keep doing the same thing over and over. Are you finding any utility for the metaverse, NFTs, any any experimentation in that in that way that you can share? Not yet. Uh, okay. We're I would say on, on on that front, we're probably not leading. We're more following. Okay. I think as I said, we're we still have like a lot of channels that we know work well, mm-hmm. and we want to focus on those channels. Given that we have limited resources, we are experimenting with some channels, uh, but not yet NFTs, not yet the metaverse. We want to give it a little bit more time. Again, going back to the objective, which is growth. If it drives growth, if it's proven to drive growth, then uh, we'll invest on it. If it's uh, more experimental, we'll probably put a little bit just to see how it works and test and maybe build the business case for investment. Uh, But we're still kind of uh, at the tip of the iceberg. That's good. Is there anything else you want to make sure that we talk about? Is there any like specific area topic you're like, want to make sure we get some time on? For me, it's really about how do we put marketing in the C-suite in the table? Uh, And how do we make sure that the voice is heard as much as the CFO voice and the chief commercial officer voice? So so that's what what, what really exciting for me is, again, the power of AI and machine learning and big data to help us be much more purposeful and and come to the table with with science more than art because that's what uh, leadership wants to hear. How is this investment gonna drive an ROI? And if if I put this into marketing, is it gonna give me higher ROI than if I put it into a commercial program or if I put it into uh, increasing my capacity at the plant. You fight for resources. The pot is the same. Mm-hmm. So you got to be able to go and build that business case and tell your story and why you should invest uh, in marketing as much as you invest in commercial, as much as you invest in, in supply chain, logistics, and manufacturing. So that's what exciting for me, like uh, using all the data that we have today to be able to tell that story, to gain alignment and gain belief and confidence that what we do matters, that what we do drive growth. Uh, and it's a never-ending process because you got to do it over and over again every budget period. It's good. So that's what I'm excited to talk about. I can talk about creative for a while. I know a lot of CMOs mm-hmm. do it and I've done it in the past mm-hmm. and I, I love it. I'm more left-brainer as you probably have perceived than right-brainer, mm-hmm. but I have so much respect for right-brainers. Yeah. Some of my most inspirational uh, bosses in the past uh, were visionary right brainers. I think they are the future. They are the entrepreneur. Uh, they are the change makers. And you have you need to have that vision. You need to have that you know inspiration. But you also need to be able to tell a different story that matters for other stakeholders. I'm curious if there's any if you can take us a layer below kind of how you do this right because you said. The voice of marketing, it's its important and marketing has to be at the table, not as a cost center, but as a revenue driver of growth. And that makes a lot of sense. 
but then there's the just the how, right? How are you? And he's talking about using data to tell stories. I love, I love that. But how are you ensuring that marketing does have a voice? That you are, you know, you're fighting for, you know, the the resources and the support that you need to grow this opportunity. Like you know, you can. Is there something to your approach or strategy of how you do that that has benefited you and is working well that maybe other marketing leaders can look, oh, wow, next time I meet with the board or next time I meet with you know the CEO or the CFO, here's an approach that I could learn from, from Jawad. I think I, I kind of voiced it before. I, I don't talk about marketing strategy. I talk about business strategy or growth strategy. When I talked about Powered, I said what we built was a growth strategy. When I talked about my first 60 days, what we built was a commercial or growth strategy or business strategy. If you lead with a strategy and that's a, a business strategy, marketing is part of that, but it's not just marketing, then uh, obviously it's closer to what people know uh, because you're using a code, a language that uh, the, the key stakeholders that your CFO mostly understand. And he's the one who's going to give you that investment, whether it's people, budget, uh, or CapEx. So, so that's really, I would say, my advice for marketeers. Don't talk about just marketing. Talk about growth. Talk about the business. And if you do that, then there's a chance people will hear you, will listen to you, and will understand what you do. Oh, that's good. That's, that's good. Especially if you are a B2B business, which is our legacy. Sure. We have to do even more to educate our stakeholders, you know, why is it, does it matter to invest uh, in marketing? Obviously, CPGs are way ahead in, you know, they are brand business. The, all marketing has always been at the center. So it's, it's, the journeys might be different between a B2B and a B2C. Uh, and the gap is probably different between a B2B and B2C. But I would say even within CPG, I've seen a lot of transformation in the last few years where companies are investing more into performance marketing, into building marketing efficiencies and effectiveness, including a Coca-Cola company. So you got to find that right balance between investing in what is proven to drive the business, but also keep experimenting because that's how you push the boundaries. That's how you push the envelope. Uh, you got to do both. It's not an or, it's an end. It's like art and science. It's not an or, it's an end. And experimentation and, and proven business uh, growth levers is all, are also an end. Are you ready to get into some lightning round questions? Sure. First question, we just want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. For those marketers out there that want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. And we have Jawad Bisbis, VP of Marketing and Global Marketing and Partnerships at Ball. First question, Jawad, what's your favorite thing about Atlanta? Uh, my favorite thing is super convenient. It's three hours flight from anywhere in the U.S., uh, the weather is great. If you love outdoor, there is everything from mountains to lake. Uh, the beach is four hours drive. So just the convenience of it. That's what I love about it. Okay. What's a life lesson that you learn the hard way? Resistant to change or being comfortable with change. I've been in, you know, with Coke for 15 years. So I got into a comfort zone. So being able to kind of remove that and do something else and try something else and take risks along the way. That, that was hard, uh, but it was the right thing to do. And it's a muscle that I allows me now to do more than I probably did a few years back. Okay. What is an activity that makes you lose track of time? Playing tennis. Oh, okay. 
If you have to build a marketing team from scratch, what role are you hiring first and why? Well, you probably would have guessed it, a data analyst. Okay. All right. Okay. And why? Why Why data analyst? Oh, why? Because you got to lead with data. Okay. I mean, you got to have someone who's going to help you build the business case for investment uh, and get the data, turn it into insight, turn it into strategy that drive action, and then ask for resources based on that. Oh, that's great. Um, what is your favorite app on your phone? LinkedIn. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. I'm super active on LinkedIn. Okay. You're, you're one of a, there's a, there's a, a small percentage. You're one, uh, Don McGuire, the, the CMO for Qualcomm. He came in the studio. He's active on it. So there are some executives like yourself that are active, but I find it's a, uh, it's less common, but I like that's your favorite. Um, if you had a time machine, where and when would you go? I'll go in the future. Okay. How far? I'll go far where people have solved global warming, ah. where all these diseases have been uh, cured, and where, more importantly, we rediscover to live with nature like we used to do thousands of years ago. I think we got to stop destroying nature because we have one earth. And uh, I, I believe that humans are survivors. That's why we've been here for thousands of years, and we'll figure it out. Because when we know that it's going to kind of affect our own well-being and our livelihood and our children's livelihood, we'll do something about it. Mm, that's good. Okay, last question. What is one thing that you would like to do this year that you've never done before? One thing this year, I would, if I have the choice and the time, I would uh, uh, sell the Caribbean in a sailboat, not a, cru- on a cruise. Okay. Like, yeah, I don't know how to sell, but I will learn how to do it and, uh, and stop in every island and just take the time. Okay. I like that. I'll meet, I'll meet you there. That's a great, that's a great one. Um, Jawad, thank you for being here. This is an incredible conversation. Um, such a privilege to have an opportunity to connect with you and share a bit of your story and perspective on marketing, on leadership, on how you're able to, you know, fight for market share inside the boardroom and outside the boardroom. It's really beautiful. So thank you for being here and wishing you the best and a big big shout out to you and the Ball family. Thank you for having me. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers 
to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.